0: me, your host, Gaffer Gramo, once again. Not much has changed, I suppose, in the world. We're still, you know, living, hoping, praying that, you know, things end a bit sooner and normality can resume, but while we're currently in this, you know, real-world football hiatus, I suppose the world of football managers is enough out there to keep us going. And there's certainly plenty going on in the community that keeps us, you know, entertained, keeps us engaged, you know, and in fairness to the community, the conversations, everything that's gone on has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, now granted, I've kind of been looking in at a lot of this stuff. I've been fairly detached for the last week or so. You know, just been a bit busy focusing on other things, other projects. Playing a little bit more football manager myself though, not as much as I would like, so but I suppose the weather is to blame. It's trying to spend as much time outdoors and it's, little time inside as possible until I, I do return to, you know, working working from home next week with the Easter holidays coming to, to an end. This is episode 21 of the podcast. It's called How Do I Live Without You? And it's, you know, inspiration coming from the rumours that always going to start to circulate when there's no football happening, there's transfers. But it's something I suppose we all have to face a little bit in Football Manager as well. It's in the real world when you know our star player goes, how can we possibly live? How can we possibly continue? How can we possibly go on without these, you know, stars to keep our squads going? So obviously, you know, there's a little bit of inspiration comes from my save, and I don't want to get too much into the save updates because I know that's not really why people come along and listen to the podcast. Um a big reason is you know, um the inspiration comes from I've just finished the January transfer window. I'm in the middle of February coming towards the end. And, you know, I am prepared, I know, in the summer, you know, I am prepared to lose some of my my players I don't really want to lose. You know, I nearly lost my right-back Amari Traore in the January transfer window. And, you know, I was stepping up the the guy I bought in to challenge and compete with him, who has been a total disappointment, and the fact I'm signing him permanently at the end of the season is a... It's a little bit disconcerting for me, but nonetheless, you know trying to prepare for life without some of these players how do you get on how do you how can we go on that's really you know another place where you know the thought process for this week's pod came from and then obviously you know i'm following a lot of people's saves along quite closely through their blogs uh youtube so on and so forth and i suppose you know you look at conversations and you know information some people are sharing it's interesting to see how they're coping with you know transfer and transfer bits in for some players that might be a little bit reluctant to let leave our players have certainly built their squads around. Oliver Jensen, that's at FM football manager, is someone I'm keeping a very close eye on in terms of his safe because Oliver does manage Wren and football manager. He's much further along than me. Where kind of I just kind of picked up management on Ren after my my unemployment spell. So it's interesting to see what Oliver's doing, how he's making things work there. So you know and it's interesting obviously like Oliver has lost some of the players that I fear losing in my save. So It's going to be interesting to follow along and someone else and see how they've coped, especially when they're managing the same team as me. But, like, in terms of the save updates, I won't bore you. I won't do much there. What I'll just do is, look, I'll try and blog. I'll try and get a blog out. I'm planning on trying to get a blog out now next week. And in terms of, you know, save updates, keep an eye on Twitter, where I promise I'll be a little bit more active once my days get a little bit more, you know, structured again. And I'm actually working on getting things out. But in terms of like, you know, when these star players go, when we lose these cornerstones or teams, how can we possibly go on? How can, you know, how can we possibly continue with such significant gaps on our side? So, in typical the technical area fashion, you know, there were uh, polls tweeted out Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. takes I'm kind of reserving now for a little bit of extra input if anyone wants to throw in. Community suggestions, extra thoughts, questions for me, whatever works for you, you know, just kind of keeping up with kind of this part of the pod. But then, like, in terms of, you know, um, the community wilds, everyone out there in the community saying, you know, I started off with, we increased the talk this week the Harry Kane could be sold. This week's pod is all about transfers out. How do you deal with public interest in your star player? And, to be fair, 60% of the community went with what I thought they'd do. And that was to ignore it. And then we had a 2020 split between the two options. 20% offering him a new contract and 20% preparing to replace him. And I suppose that's something we can all relate in some way, shape, or form. We can ignore it. You know, I, 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 I'd I, be someone like that who tries to offer him a new contract as well. Just to try and board them up. But, like, if the money is right, you know, I, I do like that. There is that contingency plan there that you almost have to be prepared to lose some of these players at times and you know when you do lose these players like in the second Paul went how do you replace how do you fill that gap that he's left in your team and i very, very interesting to see 46% of the community out there want to promote from within and I admire you I really really do look inwards to promote and that's I suppose the most sustainable and best way to go especially as like you know the FM community does have it's um. Uh, Love and admiration for finding these weird and wonderful new gents, and all these young, exciting, wonder kids, and bringing them in. So, I shouldn't be surprised, but I do admire the forty-six percent there who do. Thirty-one percent people will go out and buy young talent, and you know, hopefully this young player comes in and is able to to cut, you know, get in, and meet the grade, meet the challenge that you're setting. While well, only twenty-three percent went for you know buying someone similar, trying to go for that like for like, so. Interesting to see the majority of people try and go for that younger approach looking inwards and and you know developing a player up. And then finally, I shouldn't really be surprised with this. The answer here is has a replacement ever outshone the player he replaced? And ninety percent of ours said yes. No stories were shared, so I can't really get into it in too much detail. So ninety percent of the community members out there um they feel you know. Actual player who came in to replace the player that saw that's their player actually outshone him, so that was interesting to see as well. But I you know, where do I really begin? Where do I really get into you know, the nitty that real shot about this week? You know, we've we've got the community, you know, input we can see that people like try to hold on to them as long as possible and then look to youth. That seems to be like the way to go. But when you're in that situation. What's the thought process you go through? Because we all go through different approaches. So, this week I've gone kind of back to the, the roots. I've done my bit of research. I've read around as much in real-world football as possible. And then I've got my own thoughts as well. So, hopefully it'll be something that'll help you. And if you want to get involved in the chat, please feel free to, you know, get involved. The tweet away. The links will all be found in the podcast notes down below. If you don't follow us on the socials already. But when you think of the likes of like, Harry Kane, potentially leaving Spurs, he won't be the first big-name player to be linked to leaving their club. He's not the first, and he won't be the last. And it's, we all know a case that's close to our hearts when our best player leaves. Whether it's the club we follow, or the club we're managing, a football manager, it hurts when we know that they're going to leave. They want to go. They don't want to be here any longer. And there's not much we can do, really. You know, in terms of, like, when it's it's just getting to the case of they're going. You know, we can feel lost. We can feel we don't know what to do. And we feel like, oh, there's a bit of a problem here. How how can I actually just push on? How can I, you know, how can I develop and improve and continue the hard work we've done so far that this player has been integral to? And the thing is, you know it all starts, I suppose, with the acceptance. Like I said, the I'm afraid to lose some of the players that I have in my Ren side because they're really exciting, they're really good players. But I know that I'm going to lose some of them. But my fear, ultimately, is that if they go, they will leave gaps that I cannot fill. I got brought, brought in Jared Bone to compete with Rafinha and Marco Piace. Like Rafinha is certainly a player who's capable of making a big move. Marco Piatra could be using me as the bounce board after you know the fact that his is his time at um Juventus didn't get going. And Jared Bowen could certainly be using me as a chance to break into the top clubs in England. And I don't mind players using me in that way. But it's replacing them that that leaves me with a big fear. Going back to the Harry Kane to that real life story, like I found a news article from the thousand. And 13, I think it was 2014, following Harry Kane's breakout season. And the, the suggestion at the time was that Manchester United were linked Manchester United are going to make a move, or Manchester United are going to sign Harry Kane. The f- following of following Carrick, following Sherringham up the M1 to Manchester and to Manchester United in particular. That suggestion has always been there. And I suppose the suggestion is also there because you think we're well, Tottenham under. Definitely under Daniel Levy's tenure, they've not boxed. They've not, you know, hid away. They've not tried to ignore interest in their top players. They're always open to the possibility of losing these standout star players to interested parties. And you know, I suppose there's the confidence there that, given you know the notoriety that surrounds Daniel Levy's like uh, negotiating skills, you know, he's able to strike a deal. That benefits Tottenham. of that, that Garrett Bale deal. Absolutely phenomenal deal. And for the money. For a player that not too long before. Was being offered around for little or nothing to other clubs. Because of you know. The lackluster start he had at his career at Tottenham. So to think of you know. The shrewdness of Levy's negotiating skills. What it was capable for Tottenham to do. And thanks to like, my source here. Bleacher Report.com, you know, we cast our minds back to the departures from Tottenham over the last several seasons. You know, they have that, when it comes to selling these big players, Tottenham's has a chequered history when it comes to these significant cash windfalls. The Carrick money funded, amongst other things, a move for Didier Zakora, whose time at Tottenham didn't live up to the hype. And after and was moved on after you know 134 appearances in zero in sorry in three years and no goals. So a lacklustre, I suppose it was a you know a disappointing deal for everyone around. The sale of Berbatov and Robbie Keane facilitated the acquisition of the likes of Pavlyuchenko, Giovanni Dos Santos, and David Bentley. You know we all have our own opinions of how those players got on in North London. Modric has moved to Real Madrid £33 million. That was spread out on players such as Moussa Dembele, Gilfie Sigurdsson and Clint Dempsey. Although none of these players were direct replacements for the departed Modric. And none can be considered failures or fantastic successes. We've seen now how these players have progressed in their careers since
1: their stints at Tottenham.
0: The disappointment is they have the Magnificent Seven purchased with the immense Gareth Bale money. That's been well documented through history. And how the seven players Tottenham purchased after Bale's move. How they have actually gotten on in their Tottenham career. And the history that runs against Borussia potential Kane transfer fee. Into several stars of comparable quality. So without motivation for a sale. It becomes difficult to see Spurs deciding to sell him. Unlike that, we've heard the two hundred million pound world record fee being
1: mooted. I wouldn't put a pass on him. I wouldn't
0: put a past on Levy to be able to, you know, work on a deal of that value and think of bring that to Football Manager. Many of these players we've sold in the past, how many? Ninety like percent of Football Manager players who vote said they were able to find successes 10% said no so there's not always that guaranteed success
1: it doesn't always work when it comes to replacing players But if we have to replace them what should we do
0: because often we're faced with that question what if the price is right like most of you I'm buying a lot of potential stars that bigger and richer clubs will want. Should their development go right with me. Now already at the club. When you start with Ren Is in Bayon A player who not too long ago was, was a potential. Was a wonder kid on football manager. Potential wonder kid. And. Moved to AC Milan in real life. Moved in work out. Moved back to France. With Stade Malerbe and after moving from Conn, he's now at Ren. Already in the save, I've been faced with bids of up to thirty-one million pounds for him from Norwich. I've held on to him, but 31 million pounds is very, very tempting. But Niang is a player I feel like can't replace right now. I didn't I don't know what my squad is capable with and without him. And I felt I needed that full season to find out. Right now, though, I'm facing a big challenge to keep a young, hot, goalkeeping prospect on my hand, Pepe Bonnet. And in January, Leon bid £5 million for him. He's 17, he's worth £145,000. But I had to reje- I rejected a bid of £5 million Because I believe that, you know, given the right opportunities, he can become a star for me at Rennes. And I really, really hope he can. Now obviously when you have a goalkeeper moving on it's one thing. But losing keep attacking players like M'Bai Niang potentially for me. The replacing cornerstones like this can go one of two ways. I can either go look on the market for a like for like replacement. Or I can go for a systematic switch. Changing my system to suit the players I now have my dis- at disposal. At my disposal not having M'Bai Niang there. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And often a manager can pay with his job. You know, you think of Brendan Rodgers after the Luis Suarez transfer. That season we finished second, 2013-14, was followed by a very underwhelming 2014-15 that ended with a 6-1 defeat away to Stoke. Rodgers did keep his
1: job up until October when Jurgen Klopp came in.
0: But still, the season was underwhelming. The players brought in, We could, the club could not get a replacement for Suarez in, and ended up with Fabio Berrini, who was already at the club, Ricky Lambert, a plan B, no one kind of, everyone understood what Ricky Lambert was being brought to do, but then uh, Mario Balotelli. It was a very, very underwhelming season because a replacement could not be found. And that's why one of the reasons if I'm trying to sell a player, I'll always look to try and buy a replacement player first. Just have that clause in. And even if it's a 17-year-old or 18-year-old that I'm signing, who will potentially replace the player I've sold. It just gives me that opportunity, that window that, look, he's not gone until this happens.
1: Give me that chance. Making,
0: it's a, But the thing is, when we're faced with these, with these times, these opportunities, these moments where the price is suddenly right, we have to make a calculated decision, and this is going to be a big risk. I understand. We all know it's a risk, but sometimes the rewards can come with interest, and often, you know, the little bit of a that gambling voice we have inside us, the one that wants to take that risk, that could be the one that you know speaks loudest. Because, like, we've all been at this stage at FM, we've all sold players who've been the key to our successes, because unexpected bids have come in, and they've given us plenty of food for thought. Though, just like Spurs, not every sale of a cornerstone has yielded a replacement who left us wishing we hadn't entertained those bids. has sold Ronaldinho, setting the stage for Messi to fully emerge into the player we've seen. When Atletico sold Falcao to Monaco, Diego Costa arrived on the scene. On the flip side, you think of Michael Owen, his departure from Liverpool was followed by the success of that 2005 Champions League win. However, up front, the club did lack a consistent goal-scoring thread, and that wasn't really answered until the arrival of Dirk Kite in 2006, and then Fernando Torres in the summer of 2007. So it was a case of two, three years on before Liverpool had a regular goal-scoring thread up front again. So if you're looking to move on a star player like me and buy Niang, is it a potential two or three year hit you're going to take before you have a consistent goalscoring threat again? Now using a website like uh, statathlon.com, I was able to look at some of the selling club models that exist in Europe and unsurprisingly Benfica is the most successful selling club in Europe. But other clubs like Palermo, Genoa, Porto and Udinese making up the top five of clubs that sell in Europe in turn in terms of the success of negotiating for terms of player value and reinvestment of funds. So that's based on a ratio of negotiating the price based on the player's value to the to the fee received. And then also kind of factors in some element of the reinvestment. The most surprising though is that there's no English, Spanish or German club in the top ten clubs in terms of in Europe with selling club models. You know, Sevilla, who you might think, have you know sold on some very good players in recent years, Valencia, Hoffenheim and Southampton. Although they make great incomes from player sales, they do not sell at high enough prices. And based on the strong market value some of these players have. They need these clubs would need to have considerable improvement to negotiation policy. And so that's something we need to be realising a football manager. We need to be aware of the value of the player. And we need to really, really push. For me, I'll try and look my negotiation like I'll try and look at a player's value and say, look, if it's a player that wanna sell, the value is two and a half times his value. So if her Mari a player was worth 4.6 million. Two and a half times. Eventually we came to an agreement of 8.75 million pounds to sell. And mari Traore did not move on. But 8.75 million was what I was getting. Guaranteed for a player who was worth 4.6. Just over double. Well, just under double. But it was, it was a fee I was happy to take. But then, so, you know, you need to have a clear idea in your mind of what is the minimal acceptable fee for players I do not want to leave. And having a strong negotiation, put in all those clauses. Try and get as much money as you can even through clauses. Because staggered money can often be a little bit of a nice, you know, present at times where the ca- and that keeps the cash flow ticking over during um during the season. Especially like if you're a club like Porto, who is struggling right now with financial fair play complications. And, you know, clubs like Porto, Benfica, and for many of us, a lot of clubs we manage, a football manager, initially we might be selling clubs. And the selling club model can be construed as one where the buy low, sell high, find value, in offbeat talent monikers apply. However, the success of these models is in achieving value from money. So remember, you might, like, it's not just a case of bought them for a million, sold them for five, whatever it is. It's getting value for money. It's finding the value of that player's worth in the market. Porto, you know, And in terms of the, the ability to get players in and develop them, as we can see there, Benfica, Porto and Braga are the three leaders in Portugal. And these three clubs, based on the data I was able to get, I Portuguese football is leading the way in Europe. In terms of being able to have successful selling club models in place. Dutch clubs, smaller Italian clubs. They can also be well placed to attract talent to South America. So if you're managing in Holland. Your manager at with smaller mid-table Italian clubs like Udinese, You're well placed to bring in good South American talent. Because South American talent tends to be drawn to these leagues. And use them as a gateway to get to the elite clubs. So if you can put in a strong... Model of place, your club can benefit financially on the, and on the pitch. Your performances can also improve by, by identifying and bringing in the right kind of players and being an understanding, being ready to move them on. French clubs, as well, have also had some success in the past in terms of the acquisition of players from African nations, nations that have a close relationship with France because they're former colonies. Some of these players have obviously nationalized for France. You think of Zinedine Zidane. Coming from an Algerian background, Marcel Desailly from Ghana. Just two names just popped to mind initially in terms of standout star players for France,
1: players who France, French,
0: and French clubs were able to bring in, and the money. Understanding they have to sell them on, I mean you have to get good value for these players, that can certainly set you on your way, and that's a model I want to follow at Rennes if I have to become this selling club. However, you know, the models of successes some clubs far exceed the total investments made. So for like, see, and that's what I'm trying to get the point across, the King of FC Porto, if you look at a Bleacher report article, FC Porto are believed to be the best-selling club in Europe. They're the undisputed champions when it comes to importing foreign talent, developing the players in Portugal, and selling them on for some of the biggest fees in world football, while still maintaining a stranglehold on the Premier League, where they have big success in the competition over the last 10 to 15 seasons that's great I understand. but also the thing with Porter is they are experiencing some financial hardship at the minute so it's a case of you know there is issues with the model there is issues with how that financial model has been set up at the club but in relation to the handling of money both on and off the pitch you know
1: for me when I look at the article and I see Benfica is in
0: third, despite Stathatlan pointing out Benfica have the best negotiating policy in Europe, you know, you have to look at Benfica and say although they're third and they're very highly regarded as a selling club, the negotiating policy obviously is far better. And you'd wonder if the players that Porto are selling on were playing for Benfica, would have be seeing more significant transfer fees in terms of negotiation. Because it is relatively easy for Portuguese clubs to attract foreign players to Europe, the article says. Especially those from Brazil, whose transition to a new country is made a lot smoother by the lack of a significant language barrier. However, once established in the Premier League, the lure of astronomical wages in other European leagues often proves too much to resist. But incredibly, in the process of acquiring new players and turning them into some of Europe's most in-demand players, Benfica are experts in the transfer market. And I think that's why a lot of people might get drawn to the likes of managing portal, managing Benfica and Football Manager, because they are really great clubs. But it's a case of you're able to draw and bring in fantastic talent. They're not, and then not be afraid to sell on because this model, this network is set up in place. So even for you, if you just want to get an idea, a better grip of what it's like to be managing a club who is in this, you know. A position like Benfica and Porto, take a season with them, a football manager, manage them and see what it's like, see what the players are like. Look through the youth teams and pay particular attention to the scouting. And then when it comes to selling players, see what bids come in and try and push. Look at that, uh, Geds and Fernandes deal to Spurs, a loan, and there's a £66 million then at the end of that, that they can make the loan with permanent. Phenomenal money to be able to bring in for a Portuguese club. Especially when you look at the financial uh, resources a lot of those smaller clubs have in Portugal, sixty-six million pounds is astronomical in that league. And in terms of reinvesting it, it gives you a significant platform on which to build. In recent years, then, as well, we always look at Tottenham, Liverpool, and Manchester United in an English con- context, have all kind of had to deal with the sales of big players for big money. And if you cast your mind back to Cristiano Ronaldo, there's a good BBC article on how Manchester United and Sir Alex fared, you know, after the sale of Ronaldo. So Alex Ferguson rebuilt his squad by signing Antonio Valencia from Wigan for 16 million pounds, forward Mike God from Newcastle on a free, winger Gabriel Aubertan from Bordeaux, and striker Mammy Béram Diouf from
1: Mold. So this proof that
0: after selling Ronaldo. Who many regard as the best player in the world. That even that Sir Alex Ferguson. Some regard as the greatest manager of all time. Even he struggled
1: to replace. The departed Ronaldo initially.
0: You look at the Leicester side. That won the league in 2014. No it was later. 2016. You look at that Leicester side that won the league in 2016. Jamie Vardy is still at the club. We had moved on down for almost 60 million pounds. In Golo can't 30 million pounds? You're looking at key stand up players moving on, and that squad eventually being slowly dismantled over time. It's cost Ranieri's job, cost Carl Puel, Craig Shakespeare, and now we look at Brendan Rogers. And they're on the rise under Brendan Rogers again. The club currently sinking in the Champions League places. But the only thing is I we have to wonder is if Arsenal, Manchester United, and Tottenham were stronger sides like we've seen in recent seasons. Would this Leicester side be regarded as as good? Would they be able to maintain where they are? I don't know. But the transfer policy has worked because we have seen the reemergence of Leicester again as a side capable of competing with the best in England. You look at Chelsea. Eden Hazard moved on last summer to Real Madrid. Christian Pulisic was identified and brought in. And, you know, he had a good, good period there, but... Suppose the impact Polisic has had has been patchy. Callum Hudson Odoi has been a real standout player. And he's emerged, especially with the transfer ban as a strong player for Chelsea. However, we have to remember, I think he's 24 as well. That he's at a stage where he needs to assert himself in the squad. That he's not the young emerging player that's the cape that's going that's coming through. He's twenty-four. This has to be his time. And then you even think Kind of like how even bigger clubs cope but look at Barcelona with Neymar the sale of Neymar to PSG has left Barcelona in a bit of a lurch it left, Crist- left Lionel Messi unsettled it disrupted that front three that was frightening in Europe that won a Champions League they replaced him with Ousmane Dembele and Dembele has struggled since his move from Dortmund while Griezmann who came in and Coutinho they haven't fit in as many as we would hoped and even think of Griezmann. With Griezmann, they're even, even saying he could possibly move on from Barcelona this summer. There's so much uncertainty and doubt at the club. They want to bring back Neymar that Griezmann could be the player that sacrificed one season into after his huge move to Barcelona from Atleti. That Atleti then brought Joao Felix. And Joao Felix has struggled to get into a, a pattern, a rhythm at Atleti because of the change of system and the demands of uh, what Simeone is placing on him. So again, the domino effect is ripping through. To, you know there is a big challenge out there in finding these young players to bring in, finding players capable of filling gaps that you know big sales have left. But there is
2: positivity
1: to find. The sale of Coutinho,
0: another player who you know struggling for consistency at Barcelona. And, you know, is on loan currently, as we know, at, Bruce, at, uh, sorry, at Bayern Munich. You know, his lack of consistency as he's moved
1: on is, you know, one
0: thing aside, when you look at the transfer fee he commanded and the way that was reinvested by Liverpool, supplementing the significant transfer outlays of 2018, the Van Dijk deal had been agreed before Coutinho's sale. But well, it's safe to say that the seventy-five million spent on Virgil Van Dyke was certainly made easier with the hundred and forty-three million pounds brought in from Philippe Coutinho, while Allison also came in. She look at Van Dyke and Allison coming in for less than the value, from less money than what Coutinho was sold for. What also then you don't know, to wonder with that Coutinho money coming in, you know, transfers of Fabinho and Shaqiri in the same period, like in the same season, that same year, calendar year. They facilitate like a systematic shift in the Liverpool side. The deeper focal point that Filippo Coutinho commanded was gone. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain emerged into a re-energised and powerful midfield. And Liverpool's style was renewed, pushing them into a successive Champions League finals the win last season 2019 a record Premier League season which they finished second and a record Premier League season which is obviously you know currently suspended and it's why you look at the rumours going around Coutinho's potential transfer. to Liverpool you'd have to say it doesn't make sense because of that systematic shift that his sale has, has you know brought about so that's what I'd suggest to you if you're not going to if you can't don't want to replace a player like for like If you're losing a Coutinho, and Neymar, a player who you consider to have that level of eliteness in your squad, maybe a systematic shift could be your way forward. Maybe Barcelona could benefit from a systematic shift away from the 4-3-3. But then again, you'd have to wonder, how
1: sustainable could that success be? But then for you, stand
0: by it. Don't be afraid to make the mistake. Don't be afraid to learn. It's inevitable. You just have to be prepared that some of these star players are going to are going to go, especially if you're managing. Even if it doesn't matter what club you're managing, I really suppose. There's always a club out there who'll covet what you have. What isn't inevitable is the success that follows the sale, and we all know that. The only certainty that's going to, that follows the sale of the players, the football going to go on,
1: and the certainty that you have to come up and problem solve here. Don't be disheartened, don't feel under pressure because
0: the chances are there, the opportunities are there for you to push on from here. Southampton proved for several years that they were capable in the transfer market. Their scouts capable of finding and replacing key players year after year. Every year it was not successful, obviously, for Southampton. However, their model seems to be enough for the board and I'm sure their fans would like to see an increased success on the pitch. Going forward, as that first season promised, the teams of Adam Alana, of Ricky Lambert, and then the team that replaced them, Graziano Pella, Dusan Tadic, Sadio Mane. The Ewing theory might be is a place where I know a lot of you could possibly find some solace and comfort in. And to take and to consider it seriously. In this theory, it's highlighted that when Patrick Ewing was missing from the New York Knicks team. The side performed better. Why? Well, according to you know Dr. immediate reasons would seem to include better team dynamics and flow, better focus and responsibility among individual players, and perhaps a little you know chip on the shoulder mental toughness by players on the team hoping to prove the critics wrong, that they can win without their star. Or maybe the success witnessed when the star player goes down should be attributed to great coaching. As the stakes are that much more increased for the coach to make the best of a tough situation. The truth is, it's probably a little bit of all of that, and even a little bit of luck as well, that contributes to better and stronger team chemistry and cohesion when the star player is not available.
1: So, if your star player goes, that could be
0: your chance to shine. If that player that holds the team together goes, maybe it's time for a new player to stand up and emerge. You're an NFL fan. Tom Brady's just left the Patriots.
1: They doubt how the Patriots are going to replace him. you will have to wait and
0: see. Is it going to be good coaching? A change of system? Who knows? Are the players... Are the players that are going to stand up and be counted? Who knows? But the opportunities are there. Just like the opportunities will be there for you. To start a new chapter. Because at the end of the day... As good as your transfer policy... And your transfer acumen can be... There's always the case... That you have done will not allow you solely to succeed in 2014-15 with Liverpool Newcastle and Spurs struggling after big sales Southampton were impressive although recruitment wasn't perfect you think of like the transfers of Taylor and Gardos Ronald Koeman's
2: management and tactical understanding
0: were key, key to conjuring to the success of Southampton. Although recruitment wasn't perfect, the tactics and the tactical understanding and the manager of Kuhlman maintained the fluid interchangeable front three behind the less mobile target man and placed a great emphasis on the role of marauding fullbacks. Southampton played with an inexha- inexhaustible energy, a lucid attacking movement Unconventional wingers drifting and wandering, seeking pockets of space in which they can inflict damage, whilst pacey offensive fullbacks provided penetrating runs in the wing. Cumin has been very adroit in his use of players who survived the Exodus of twenty fourteen, the players who clung onto the walls as the foundations of Southampton were shaken by the footsteps of the Premier League's giants, as though they were tossing the club through a sieve to see which players would fall through the club's grasp. The most important factor in the disparity in success of the clubs who have recently pillaged their star man is the management of Kuhlman in integrating his signings slowly and almost cautiously. Of course, to an extent, the Dutchman was forced to throw a few players in at the deep end because he lost so many, but unlike Newcastle, Spurs and Liverpool, Koeman was sparing in his deployment of these summer arrivals, allowing them the opportunity to bet in, to develop their tactical understanding, and for him to create a new level with the players who remained and stayed behind. Players who knew him had an understanding of him and had an understanding of what was expected out on and off the pitch. So creating the club culture, creating good dynamics, could also be the successes of the transfers you bring in. Adding those extracurricular sessions to your training, especially in pre-season and into the first couple of weeks, and during January as well, could help your squad gel and become a bigger, stronger unit. As Colin Bowen said, there are no secrets to success. It is just a result of preparation, hard work, and learning from failure. And that's what we have to do
1: in Football Manager. Prepare Put in the work and learn from where we failed, others have failed in the past. All those sources that's gonna form the basis of
0: a blog post I wanna put out next week, because that's you know, along a similar vein to what we've had on the podcast here. But just think, just reflect and say,
2: Okay, if I lose my star man, how can I change? What can I do? And where where can I look to find these new stars?
0: Just before I go, I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for going getting in this far. Thank you to everyone who contributed to this week's podcast through the votes.
1: If you did like the podcast or please feel free to like, share and review you know
0: if you're creating content or looking for content the hashtag Reddit community is the best place to go whether it's the channel over on Slack or you know just follow
1: on the hashtag on Twitter. Episode twenty
0: two will be coming out next week. Again keep an eye on the um keep an eye on the the, the technical areas Twitter page I'll be tweeting about, about twelve o'clock or so each day i'll be tweeting out the um the polls so come along get involved and don't be afraid to add an extra comment and get your voice and opinions heard if there's a topic you want me to cover please feel free to you know um suggest it dm it to me whatever way you want to work because maybe that's what we're talking about this time next week it's also i'd say the last podcast i'll be recording current microphone a bit of technical issues over the last couple of weeks and I know the sound quality doesn't match up to others so hopefully the new one if it arrives like Amazon is promising it will you know we can overcome the difficulties and issues and try and take the podcast to a new level but until next week I've been Gaffer Graymo enjoy FMing, stay safe follow the best instructions you can and I hope you, your family, and everyone is doing well. Oh, yeah, and don't forget to, if you haven't already, and if you're in a situation where you can, check out Jim G. Buy his t shirts. The campaign is fantastic, it's for a great cause. And if you're in a position to buy them, I'm sure he'd appreciate the support. But again, I'll talk to you next week. Bye bye now. <laughs>